and design, but we also need to see that definite difference between men and women, male and female. Because when we begin to see what God was talking to him just a few weeks ago, when I said, Brother, the Lord has led me to uh, sing a special. He looked kind of surprised and he said, Are you sure? And I said, Well, I believe that's what the Lord's led me to. And he said, Well, you're the pastor, so you know I'm going to respect your decision. If you think the Lord's led you to sing a special, then I want you to sing one. And I said, Well, do you have anything in mind that you would like me to sing? He said, I'd love for you to sing on a hill far, far away. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Having said that, I'm thankful for those who can sing. Thank you, brother, for using the talent God give you to honor and glorify him. Thank you, worship team. What a blessing you are to us each and every Sunday, leading us into the presence of God through praise and through worship. Um, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Can you say amen? <laughs> I, I love that song because it's so true. All the world has to offer is not enough. All the world has to offer will not fill you. It may for a little while, but um, it just doesn't last what the world gives. But what Jesus gives to those who trust in him is enough. It's more than enough. I've tasted and I've seen <laughs> That he is good. So if you've tasted all the world has to offer and you still feel empty and lost and undone and wanting in some way, lacking in some way, knowing you don't really have what you need deep down on the, on the inside, deep down in your soul, then let, let me tell you this. Try Jesus. Taste and see that he is good. Because he is. He is. I love that song. Thank you so much. Y'all done a great job, all of you, this morning. We're going to be looking today at Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 26. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that we are about to start a series of messages entitled Harmony in the Home. And that's what we're going to do today. So for the next three or four, five weeks maybe, we're going to be looking at what God's Word says according to um, what a godly home looks like, what a happy home looks like according to the Word of God. Because how many know the Word of God is, it, it's really what matters. It's all that matters. It is our standard for living. It's what we measure everything else by. So we want to know what God's Word says about the home. Now why are we doing this? What is the purpose? Well, I tell you folks, the home is of vital importance. I want to give you, make three statements to you. First of all, the home is the foundation of every society. If you believe that this morning, say amen. I'm talking about every culture. The home is the foundation. It's true. Um, it's been true in the past. It's true in our present. It will be true in our future. So we need to know what God says, what God wants concerning the home. I want to tell you something. If the foundation begins to crumble, then the society must follow. The, the home is the foundation for the nation. If you believe that today, say amen. And if the foundation begins to crumble, then you can rest assured that the nation will soon follow. I mean, I want you to think about how vitally important the home really is and what we're doing right here this morning. We call this what we're doing today a congregation of believers. It's the body of Christ coming together to honor and to glorify the Lord. Well, let me ask you something. Since we are congregated, since we are collected in this group, then what is this group? Let's break it down. Folks, really 
all in the world a congregation is, a body of believers is, is a collection of homes. It's my home, and it's your home, it's our homes coming together for the purpose of honoring, glorifying, and serving Jesus. That's what this is all about. So it stands to reason that if we have more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving homes, we will have a more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving church, if you believe it, say amen. Now, I want you to think about it. If we have a more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving church, we'll have a more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving community. Because after all, Jesus has commanded us to be that shining city upon the hill. I'm talking about that, that beacon of light in our community that point others to Him. I'm talking about people who love God and who love people, who show compassion to people. And when we do that, when we be that more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving church, it will make a more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving community. A more God-honoring, Christ-serving, uh, Christ-honoring community will make a more uh, godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving city. A more God-honoring, Christ-serving city will make a more God-honoring, Christ-serving state. A more God-honoring, Christ-serving state will lend itself to a more godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-serving nation and a nation of world. So how important is the home? How vitally important is it that we figure out what God's word says concerning our home? See, what I think we've done for far too long, we've tried to start at the ceiling instead of starting at the foundation. We're trying to fix the roof. And there's nothing wrong with starting at the top and, and fixing the roof. The roof needs to get fixed too. But I'm telling you, we must, we must, we must fix the foundation. Because if you don't fix the foundation, the building is still going to fall. Are you getting me? The foundation of this nation, of this society, of this world is, is the home. It's my home and it's your home. Now that's sometimes hard to hear because we see the shape that our world is in. It's real easy to lay the blame at the White House. And there's more than enough blame to go around there. Believe me, we can all do that. It's easy to lay the blame at the White House. But what we must do is look at our house. My house, your house, our home. Do we have God-honoring, Christ-serving, Christ-honoring homes? Because it truly makes all the difference. This morning, we're going to look at what God's Word says. And again, for the next three or four weeks, we'll be looking at this. Now, if you're here this morning, and, and you're, you're single, you don't have a family, uh, listen to me, don't, don't tune me out, don't turn me off, because that might not always be the case. Maybe God is preparing you for that special someone. Maybe God is encouraging you and letting you know what to look for. Maybe God has given you His truth to make a real difference in your life now and in the future. The first thing that I want us to see in Genesis chapter number 1, and I got three points this morning, is the divine directive. The divine directive. How many of you know God gives us direction as to what he wants from mankind? And he does it in the beginning. That's why I started in the beginning. If we're going to start at a, start at a place, I can't think of a better place to start than right here in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created man himself. Listen to what he says, Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us... Make man in our own image. Now, I wish I had more time to develop this, but what you need to get, uh, the, 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 um, the main point of what's being said here, when God says 
says, he's talking about three persons. Can you say amen? He's talking about three distinct personalities that reveals themselves to us. Three distinct personalities, one God. He's talking about God the Father. We know he's there at creation. He's talking about God the Son, according to Genesis or John 1, 1 through 3. We know he's there at creation. And he's talking about God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three there at creation and responsible for creating mankind in their image. If you believe it, say amen. Let us make man... In our own image, not one, but three distinct personalities revealing themselves as one God. Now, that's about as far as I can go with that. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's as far as my finite mind will let me go. I, I like what Charles Spurgeon used to say. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, to try and explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. He's right. Because what we have is a finite mind with limited understanding trying to understand and explain an infinite mind with unlimited understanding. And so to try and explain it, logically reason it out, you're never going to get there. I, I, I can't. But he also said this, to explain the Trinity you'll lose your mind, but to explain it away you'll lose your soul. Why? Because it's what God teaches in his precious truth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there at creation, telling man what man should be and what man should do. That's what we have here. Look what else. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Everybody say image. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image of God, created he him, Male and female, watch, created he them. Male and female, created he them. Male and female, created he them. Male and female, created he them. How do, what did God create? Then he says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Everybody say, Subdue. Everybody say dominion. <laughs> now, why am I wanting you to say all these things? Because I want, to get, want it to get in your mind that, first of all, God created us in his image. And so if we are in the image of God at creation as mankind, Adam himself there, Adam and Eve, if they are to be God's image, that means they are to bear God's image throughout the earth because he commands them to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and have dominion. So what's God's plan for men this covenant. See, that's what it is. This is a covenant that God is making with Adam and with mankind. God makes covenants all throughout the Word of God. If you're a student of Scripture, you've probably heard of covenant. Let me give you my favorite definition of covenant. I love this. The word covenant actually means an oath-based contract or agreement whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve Another. Now, I'm thankful this morning, and you ought to be thankful, that God has entered into covenant relationship with mankind. He gives us several of them. You've probably heard of them. You've heard of the Noahic covenant, I'm sure. When Noah, the, the earth was flooded, and God commanded him to build an ark, and Noah was in the ark with his family and with the animals of the earth. 
then what did God do? God caused the, the, the flood waters to recede and Noah stepped out on dry land. But when Noah stepped out on dry land, what did God tell him? He said, Noah, never again am I going to flood the earth. Am I going to destroy all the living uh, with water? And he put a sign in the sky that would uh, let Noah know that he was telling the truth. What was it? It was the rainbow. And so now that every time we see the rainbow, we can rest assured that God is faithful to his promise. God entered covenant relationship with Noah. You've probably heard of the Abrahamic covenant, haven't you? That happened in Genesis chapter 12. God spoke to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as the sands of the seashore and the stars of the heaven. You're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth, Abraham, is going to be blessed through you, through your lineage. It's the Abrahamic covenant that was speaking of the coming Savior, that was speaking of Jesus himself, that would come through the lineage of Abraham. You've probably heard of the Davidic covenant, haven't you? When God spoke to David and he said that the throne would never leave David's family, knowing Jesus came of the house and the lineage of David, we understand that that is fulfilled in Christ. God keeps his promises. And I hope you've heard of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter number 8 and verse number 6. The whole book of Hebrews tells us about how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant. The new covenant is based upon the finished work of Jesus. And now all who trust in Christ by grace through faith can be made partakers of these promises. Can you say amen? We have a covenant with God. What we have here in Genesis chapter number 1 is the Adamic covenant. It really comes in two parts. The first part is found in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. The second part comes in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of man. God changes things just a little bit. But when Adam, when Adam was sinless, when Adam was innocent, God said, my purpose for you, for mankind, is that you be fruitful, you multiply, and you spread my image, my glory, across the face of the earth. Do you see it? That's the divine directive. That's what God told Adam to do. Now, why is that important? You see, the purpose that God had from the beginning was to spread His image everywhere. He wants to do that through the vehicle of the family. Can you say amen? So what He's saying is, Adam, I'm, I'm going to make you a woman. I'm going to make you Eve, male and female. Then you're going to be fruitful, multiply, and spread my image everywhere. I'm talking about godly mamas and godly daddies coming together as one to make godly children that spread the image of God. Amen? God wants to and does use the vehicle of the home to spread his image. That's been his plan from the beginning. It's the divine directive we see in Genesis chapter number 1, verses 26 through 28. I want to move on from the divine directive. Let's talk about the divine design for a minute. Look what it says there, Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The fact is, God created two genders. Just two. Just do anything, anything that people say or believe that speak to there being more than two genders is not based upon fact but on feeling. Anything 
people believe that speak to more than two genders, it's not based upon science, but emotion. We, we got to get a hold of that because I never thought I would see the day when we have to give this truth like I'm giving it this morning. I, I mean, it's just pretty much as common sense as I, as I know to, to, to think. But, but we live in a time where people are struggling with this. And, and believe me, I'm not trying to be harsh toward people that are struggling with gender identity. I believe there's a lot of different reasons that people go through that. I think, first of all, it, it can certainly be um, what they grew up in, how they grew up. Um, abuse a lot of times can cause uh, problems with gender, gender identity or, or realizing uh, really who God created you to be. I, I get all of that. People have problems. And I want you to know the grace of God is sufficient for us all. So I, I'm not trying to be harsh in any way, but we got to be real. And we got to speak truth, and we got to do it in love, but we got to speak truth. We, we've got to give people what God's Word says, and God's Word says He created male and female. Anything else that is being talked about, anything else that is being said today, anything that speaks of there being more genders than male and female is not based upon facts. It's based upon feelings. Now, feelings are not a bad thing. I told a brother just the other day that feelings are great foot soldiers but terrible generals. Feelings should not direct you. Feelings uphold and spur on what directs you. What directs you has to be truth. The truth has to be the general of the Word of God. And when you believe the truth of the Word of God, your feelings come along and, and uphold that. And that's a good thing. But the same is true if you believe a lie. And that becomes your general. So we've got to speak truth. The facts are these. Science proves there's two genders. We can take... Biology, the science of biology, and prove there are two genders by the chromosomes we have, genetically speaking. The female has the XX chromosome, the male has the XY chromosome. So, biologically speaking, there's only two genders. See, we can prove today whether you are a male or a female through a simple blood test. Amen? If we're just looking at fact. Let me tell you something else. Through the study of anatomy, the science of anatomy, we know there are two genders. I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to be crude this morning in any way. Please don't misunderstand me. But your, your plumbing determines who you are. What you are. You can feel like a typewriter. I can too, but I ain't writing any letters. We can't base who we are and what we do on what we feel, but what we know to be fact. And when we start basing it on feelings, you open up all kinds of doors for destruction in your life because your feelings change like the wind. I am amazed that we are actually saying Children as young as 12 and 13 years old in some places should have gender reassignment surgery. Are you kidding me? We had a 
former presidential candidate who became our president who said on national TV at a debate that an 8 and an 11-year-old little girl ought to be able to have gender reassignment surgery. That's the world we live in. Why? Because we've thrown fact out the window. And feelings are changing like the wind. Folks, I didn't even know what I need to eat for breakfast at 12 years old. At 8 years old. I didn't even know what shoes to put on at 8 years old. Are you kidding me? God said He created male and female. And let me tell you something. Listen to me very plainly. God does not love or value either gender over the other. Are you hearing me? Galatians 3.28. Put that on the screen for me, brother, if you will, please. Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 28. Watch this. Very powerful verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one. In Christ Jesus. Everybody see that? God doesn't love the male any more than he loves the female, or the female any more than he loves the male, and he doesn't value the male any more than he values the female, and he doesn't value the female any more than he values the male. He doesn't. He's made us equal. But equal does not mean same. And he's created the differences between the two genders so that he might make us one. Are you getting me? And it's so very, very important that we see it. He wants us to be one so that he can do in our homes, in our family, what pleases him, what honors him, and what blesses the world. Man, it's so, so powerful when you get a hold of that. When you start applying this truth, it's amazing. God does not love either gender or value either gender more than the other, but he's created us equal, not same, different so that he might bring us together. Genesis chapter number 2, look with me at what he says there in verse number 18. Genesis 2, verse number 18. Why did God do this? Well, the Bible answers that question. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I want you to think about something. All throughout Genesis chapter 1, you see God creating things, the whole earth. And after everything he created, everything he did, he said, It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. You can go back and read it for yourself in Genesis, the first chapter. It is good. It is good. Then he created man, put him in the garden, he said, It's not good. Now, ladies, don't laugh at that. But that's what he said. He created man, he's in the garden alone, and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. So what did God say? I'm going to create for him a help me. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. Now, help meet is a noun, not a verb in the Hebrew. Let me tell you what that means. What God is saying here, he's not saying he's just only giving Adam someone to help him pick fruit and pull the weeds of the garden and till the ground when the ground needs tilling. It's not just someone who can help, but it's someone who comes alongside him, gives him, first of all, companionship. Companionship. That's why he created Eve for Adam. Nothing in creation could fulfill the longing of Adam's heart 
until God created the woman. I was telling some young men this just the other day. There is nothing, no greater gift that God has ever given than woman. Amen. I'll tell you something. Nothing, no greater gift that God has ever given than woman. I'm so thankful for the gift, the companion that God has given me. Let me tell you something, guys. You ought to treasure her. You ought to honor her. You ought to respect her. She is God's gift to you and your family. When you've got a woman who loves Jesus, and because she loves Jesus, she knows how to love her husband and her children, there's no greater blessing than that. No greater gift than that. I'm so thankful for the companion that God has given me. She's not just someone who helps me and does things for me. She's someone who partners with me as a companion in, in this roller coaster we call life sometimes. Amen? She partners with me in the good times. She partners with me in the bad times. She partners with me for better or worse sickness and in health till death do us part. She is my partner. My companion. God gave Eve to Adam as a companion. God gave Eve to Adam not only as someone who is a companion, but also one who cooperates with Adam. Amen? How many know God's got a plan for our home? God's got a plan for our family. And God wants our family to bring honor and glory to Him and light in the darkness in the world that we live in. And so she cooperates with me in that. We're in this together, can you say amen? That's, that's what makes marriage work. That's what makes a home work. It's cooperation, one with the other. You need to understand that, listen to me now, ladies, you are not just to be a doormat. You are to be in cooperation or partnership with your husband so that you might do and be what God has called you to do and to be. Guys, you've got to understand that too. God gave Eve to Adam for a companion. He also gave uh, Eve to Adam for cooperation so that they might come together and fulfill God's purpose. But let me give you this one. And I love this one. God gave Eve to Adam so that he might be completed. In the areas that Adam was lacking... Eve came alongside and completed. See, the truth is, Adam could have never been what Adam needed to be without Eve. And I'll tell you this. Israel Price could never be what God wanted Israel Price to be without Brandy. No way. She's my companion, my partner. She cooperates with me. She completes me. Where I lack... Because she is different, she helps me be completed. Are you getting me? I hope and pray that where she lacks, I come alongside and help her be completed. And as we work together, these two halves make a whole. Are you getting me? Now listen to me, ladies. You are not called to compete 
with your husband. You are called to complete your husband. It's not about you trying to rise above. It's about you being beside. It's not about you following behind. It's about you being beside. It's not about you walking ahead. It's about you being beside. Now, the modern feminist movement doesn't teach that. What I just said to you is not popular. But if you want your home and your marriage to work and to be blessed, you've got to do your marriage God's way. God created this thing. He knows how it's supposed to work. See, God took a rib from Adam, right? That's what the Bible says in Genesis 2. He didn't take a bone from Adam's foot because the woman is never to be under the foot of man. Some male chauvinists have a problem with that saying too because they, they look at their wife as a doormat that they walk on and walk over throughout life. Well, if you've got that view of marriage, you've got the wrong view, you need to repent and get your heart right. There's no wonder your woman is miserable. I'd be miserable too. Are you getting me? So he didn't, he didn't take a bone from the foot so that you could stomp on her and walk over her. He didn't take a, 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 a bone from the backside either so that she could be behind you. No. He took a bone from the side so that she could be beside you. And what a gift it is when you've got a godly woman beside you. So, Let's look at the differences. Amen? We've looked, first of all, at the divine directive. We've looked at the divine design. God created male and female to come together in covenant relationship in the bonds of holy matrimony. How many know matrimony is holy? Anything that's not marriage is not holy. Holy matrimony. It's a gift God has given See, really what, you're, what he's talking about is man and woman entering into a covenant relationship. A covenant with one another and a covenant before God. An oath. A partnership bound to one another. Serving one another. Amen. Promising to one another. Living for one another. It's a powerful thing. It's a blessed thing. It's an amazing thing. And you're missing out if you don't know what holy matrimony is. It's powerful, folks, I'm telling you. So, so let, let me say something to you. God's divine design is one man, one woman, coming together as two halves that make a whole, honoring, serving, and glorifying the God of heaven. When you get that, that's this little heaven on earth. I'm tell you. You've seen the divine directive. You've seen the divine design. Now let's look at the definite difference because there is one. How many know that I don't think I've got to, we don't have to put this in the newspaper or read the headline for it. We just pretty much know men and women are completely different on many different levels. How many know men and women are physically different? The book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7 says that the woman is the weaker vessel 
Now listen, that is normally the rule. That's not absolute. I mean, there's some women that could whip their husbands. That's not always the rule, but normally, generally, that's the rule. The woman is physically the weaker vessel. One thing that makes me absolutely sick in the crazy culture that we're living in and the godless culture that we're living in is these young men pretending to be young ladies to compete in ladies' sports so that they might win the medal. As a, as a father who has daughters, that makes me sick to my stomach. When you've got a young lady who's worked hard for four years in high school and pretty much all her life doing the sport she's doing, and then you have a young man who pretends to be a girl and comes in and beats this young lady up on a wrestling mat? Are you kidding me? And people say, ah, preacher, you just old-fashioned. Well, let me tell you what I am. I love women. I'm thankful for women. There's three of them in my family that I love dearly, my wife and my two girls. I respect women. I respect women greatly. Hey, I've got three of them in my family. My wife and two daughters. But I respect women enough not to treat them like a man. And any man who treats a woman like a man don't know what respect is and don't know what love is. And they ain't been taught from godly fathers who should be teaching these things. We, we just got to call this what it is, don't we? Do you see the problem with the home? Do you see how it affects everything? So they're different physically. No doubt about it. They're different psychologically. Now let me tell you what a lot of psychologi psychologists are going to tell you today. that They're different psychologically speaking because of their culture, because of their upbringing, because of their environment. Listen, it's not because of their culture, it's because of their creation that they're different. Dr. James Dobson says that men and women are wired differently. They think different because they are different because they were created different so that they might be made one. It's not a, it's not a uh, the, the factor of, of what culture you grew up in, but what God made you to be. They see things differently, psychologically speaking. They're certainly emotionally different. Would you agree? Well, I'm telling you something, man. Me and my wife went a few years back, been quite a few years now, over to Tupelo to watch a movie. Has any of you ever watched A Walk to Remember? I don't recommend A Walk to Remember. Unless you just want to sit around and cry all day. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of Walk to Remember. My wife still loves Walk to Remember. We went and watched this movie, and I'm going to be honest. It is a sad movie. It is, it's terrible. I'm talking about tear your heart out and stomp on it kind of movie. At the end, I look around, and everybody's crying. I've got to be honest. I shed a tear or two. It got to me. But you know what? When I walked out of the theater, it's over. Because I realized, guess what? It's a movie. Are you getting me? And so I wiped my nose, blew my nose, wiped my eyes. And we went on to the house. We get to the exit that turns um, from Highway 45 to Interstate 22 in Tupelo, turning back, coming toward home. And I look over, and my wife's still crying. I'm not talking about a little bit of crying. I'm talking about ugly crying. I'm talking about, she's crying. I can hear her crying. And I was like, all right, well, 
I, I didn't say anything. I said, honey, it's going to be okay, you know. We, we passed the Peppertown exit. I look over, still crying. Fulton, still crying. We get to exit three, still crying. Let me tell you why. Emotionally, we're different. That broke her heart, man. And it's okay it broke her heart, but guess what? It's okay that it didn't just break mine. Because maybe in the parts she's lacking, I can come alongside and complete her. And maybe in the parts I'm lacking, she can come alongside and complete me. Are you getting me? Because we are different, created differently, we need to understand we have different purposes. Don't we? Let's look at it. Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it. Everybody say dress it. One word I want to give you here. Provision. What God is saying is, Adam, your purpose is to provide. Now, because you are supposed to provide, that's not the only purpose, but that is a purpose of man in the family, to provide. The Apostle Paul said, any man that don't provide for his family should be treated as an infidel because if you don't work, you don't eat. Boy, that's, that's a truth that needs to be preached today, ain't it? We got a lot of people not wanting to work but wanting to eat. And we got some corrupt leaders who keep giving money to eat on. Money that everybody else has worked for. That's not just. That's not right. That's not helping people. That's keeping people under the government's thumb, and it's wrong. So we need to say these things because God's Word says it. A man is to provide for his family. So ladies, let me tell you something. If you're looking at a prospective mate, let me tell you what you need to look for. Work. Does that brother work? Because if he don't work, you don't want him. If he won't get in there and get after it, find somebody else. I tell my daughter all the time, look deep, honey, before you leap. Look deep. Make sure he's got some qualities you're looking for before you jump into something. Don't make an emotional attachment to this man that's going to turn into something else, a physical attachment. Don't do it until you look deep. Don't even mess with it. We need to know what God's word says concerning how and why God has created us. He created men physically strong because we're supposed to provide. Adam had some work to do. He had some fruit to gather and weeds to pull and uh, uh, crops to plow. He needed some physical strength. Are you getting me? Now, not only did he say keep the garden, but watch this. Or excuse me, dress the garden, but he said keep the garden. To dress it means to provide. To keep it means to protect. Do you know that the man is supposed to be his wife's protector? Guys, do you know that we're supposed to protect our homes, our wives, and our children? We are to protect them from great threats, but from also small threats. How do I know that we are to be the protector of our wives? Because when Eve sinned, guess who God blamed? 
you go look in verse chapter 3, you're going to see when Eve sinned, God didn't call out Eve, God called out Adam. Why? Because it was Adam's job to protect the garden. And he let the enemy in. And now we all got in bad shape because he let the enemy in. Because Adam became lazy in his duties. Because Adam wasn't doing what God had called him to do. It cost him and it cost his family greatly. It cost the human family greatly. So we're called to be protector from anything that might cause our wives and our children harm. Amen? It's very, very important that we see that, big and small. When me and my wife first got married, I'll never forget, we was... We've been married about three or four months, I guess, something like that. And um, um, I was sitting in the living room watching Monday Night Football, never forget it. And she had already went to bed. She said, I'm going to go into bed. You, you stay up as long as you want, watch the game. I, I'm, just, I'm tired. I'm ready to go to sleep. And so she goes in, gets in the bedroom, and, and I'm sitting there watching the game, man, having a good time. And all of a sudden, she screams to the top of her lung. I, I, listen, I'm not talking about a little scream. I'm talking about ear-piercing scream. I'm talking about window-breaking scream. I'm talking about, I'm thinking that an axe murderer has just broken through the window and she's about to get killed. And so I jump up, both man straight up from the recliner, run into the bedroom, and I get in there. And she said, there it is, there it is. And I said, there's what? She said, there's a spider. It's completely dark in that bedroom. Completely pitch black. And she sees a spider coming down on a web from the ceiling about the, as about as big as a, as a pencil head, I mean, or a pencil eraser. That's about how big it was. And she sees that in pitch dark. I couldn't believe it. She can see that, but she can't see the check engine light come on when... <laughs> We're different, aren't we? We're just different. And that's okay. But she saw it coming down the wall. And I went crazy. God, woman, what are you doing? You screaming and doing all this carrying on over this spider that's all the way across the room? That spider ain't going to bother you. And I turn around and walk back in the living room. And do you ever have the Holy Spirit just grab you and shake you? Has that ever happened to you? God convicted my heart. I'm not just to protect her from the big things. I'm to be her protector at all time, realizing she's God's gift to me. Amen? We learn how to come together. We'll look at more of it next week. Let me tell you this. As husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, we'll never be, never be what God has created and called us to be without the power of God. And you can only have the power of God if you have the Holy Spirit. And you can only have the Holy Spirit if you've trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior. You want to be a husband that God's pleased with, a father that God's pleased with, a mama that God's pleased with, a wife that God's pleased with. You want to be what God has created you to be in your home? Let me tell you the first step is trusting in Jesus. You'll never know how life is to be lived until you know the Creator of life. And you can only know the Creator of life By trusting in Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father 
but by me. Do you need him today? Have you trusted in him today? If so, praise the Lord. If not, today is a day of salvation. This invitation is for you. Brother, come on up. Also, if you're here today and you're a mama and your daddy or husband or wife and you've got problems in your home, that's okay. We all do from time to time. Believe me, if there's one thing you need to understand before we even get started in this, there are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect homes. I know we all want to act like it, right? We all put on our Sunday best and smiling faces and come to church on Sunday and act like nobody's got any trouble. We got it all figured out, but that ain't the truth. All of us have troubles. All of us still growing. So don't think you're the only one with problems, but I'll tell you this, my God is able. He is. I've seen it too many times in my life and the lives of others. Bring it to Jesus. Whatever problem you have, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, bring it to the Lord today. This altar is a great place to do it. I'd love to play, pray with you if I can, if you'd like for me to. That's a privilege that I've been given as your pastor. So whatever you need today, whatever's going on in your heart and life, won't you come? If you need to be saved, I do encourage you. Just come say, brothers, I need to be saved. Now, walking an aisle can't save you. Being in this church don't save you, and I sure can't save you. But I can share with you in the Word of God what it means to trust by faith in Jesus and be born again. If you need the Lord today, you come. Everybody stand together, please.